0: it's in
1: my repertoire every single bar is hard spitting fire like i'm the human version of Travis <laughs> kid i i mean i i recognize the uh on the one hand I, like to your point Caden goes to school so like telling him to wake up at 6:30 in the morning to do a podcast is not like a thing that's completely out of character yeah <laughs> but but uh yeah also uh, like this is the challenge of west coast is like normally we recorded either like five normally recorded five so it's a struggle, uh, logistically for him. Uh, historically, either way, well, you know, going for the early morning thing was the best case scenario for him, but also rife with the potential that he just does, simply does not show up.
0: <laughs> <sighs>
1: so, Caden might show up, but we're not—we're not, we're not going to count that against him. Let's uh, uh, let's jump right in because we do have a hard stop in an hour. Uh, it's the early morning edition of the Trash Lanch Podcast the only podcast about the Pokemon trading card game. Uh, Britt Pybus, Mike Fouché, Brent Halliburton, we're all here. We're on Twitter, too. Uh, If you leave a five-star review, we will read it on the pod. Speaking of which, guys, got a five-star review. Nice. Hardworking Pokemon podcast does good. You guys have been putting out quality content week in and week out, and it felt bad seeing you guys asking for a five-star review each week, so here it is. Love the chilled out, casual lo-fi vibe of the podcast. Feels like just sitting in on a group of friends talking Pokemon. Keep up the grind and good vibes. Scott Free seventy-seven via Apple Podcasts Australia.
2: Nice. That's just it's cool. Nothing really to comment on. Uh, I, I think we do try to do the chill vibe of uh, of all the podcasts. So happy to see that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I feel like the highlight there, Scott, is is now when we, I mean, we still have to ask for reviews every week because we need the reviews. And apparently people say it helps people find the pot and we like to read the reviews. But now every time we ask for reviews, you can be like, I was part of the solution instead of part mm-hmm. of the problem. <laughs> and and like all you non-reviewers, you can just think about that. Scott's just living that life. He's hearing us talk on it right now. And he's like, I left a review. I'm a good person. And people haven't left reviews. You're, what are you? you Got to ask yourself. All right. Anyway, Dragon Shields, our sponsor, they make the best sleeves. Uh, um, but let's uh, let's dive right in. Guys, cups, challenges. How's it going?
2: I didn't think I was going to play any cups or challenges uh, the past week, but I did play one last night, actually, and I won with Guardy. So I have got two challenge wins now. So I'm good with challenges. All right. So yeah. so does that mean Garty is the play for Hartford? Are you like, wow, I love Guardy. I mean, I really like Guardi, and I'm still considering it, but I'm not sure it's the play. I played Guardi last night because I didn't think there was going to be very much Lost Box, and that's the big thing holding Guardi back. Missed the Lost Box matchup.
1: Uh, uh, was, was your Guardi list spicy in any way?
2: Uh, no, it was towards list minus Penny plus a second um, Arcana Guardi and minus the fourth Juniper for a Serena. So nothing, nothing too crazy.
1: How about you, Britt? Any exciting uh, cups or challenges lately?
3: No, I, don't, I I have one in uh, maybe another week or so. There was some this past weekend that the people I've been not traveling with directly, but just kind of going to the same stuff with. I know they went, they went down to Oklahoma this past weekend. I had like a fighting game thing in, in Kansas City. I've just gotten kind of like more and more involved with that from the – like organizer sort of side of things like I'm just a volunteer I'm not like actual staff or anything like that but I've, I've been helping run our like big events and Street Fighter 6 comes out at the end of the month and um, we're just it's gonna be like Pokemon coming back after COVID or something like that just like the num- numbers are gonna be crazy for the first couple of weeks and so we're just kind of doing a lot of uh, prep work for that um, to, to run some awesome events coming up um, but no so I, I missed out and uh last week and our mikey and i's little um podcast without brent i talked a lot about you know being high on arctina for the most part and i like still feel that's generally true i keep really do coming back to charizard box mostly just because i keep seeing you know people much players who are much better and smarter than me you know playing it and doing well so every time that happens i'm just like I've missed something or, you know, I'm overly pessimistic in my, you know, my characterization of this matchup and things like that. So I keep coming back to that. And like, if I were at events, I think I would just keep playing slight iterations of that. I feel like people, um, these better players like Keon, and I know in our group chat, I think John Hang played it at a challenge and it seems like the, these people that are playing it and myself seem to be developing the deck in the same direction, which is, again, is sort of nice and reassuring to see and just like, Maxing consistency more than anything else. Like, it's bizarre that I mean, it's just really the, the cost of not having Greninja, you know, have factoring that into your sort of lack of consistency compared to the other versions because, like, it's strange because, like, you play more balls and, like, more switches usually than the, um, you know the the Grenin- Greninja version, but still, like you don't get to the you know the seven, ten, and the loss of them is fast. Just those, seeing those cards is just that strong. Drawing the cards and thinning your deck by losing energy and things like that, and obviously the Greninja synergizes well with you know doing your Kyogre thing too. Obviously, that just sort of makes it work in the end game and things like that. But anyways, all that to say is that I just like still think it's like pretty solid against most things it's you know it has to work in a lot of matchups which i feel like the mirage gate version just doesn't you know so to speak and that like and i've expressed this a, a great number of times already i think but just like when the loss, you know, when the Mirage Gate version draws well, like I think it is just plainly the best deck. And but it's just finding those games where you're not drawing so optimally. But, anyways, just um, trying to just max consistency, max just like how fast you can get to the loss zone, playing things like uh, a fourth poker gear, just really digging for Coleris as often as possible, as well as um, uh, like I, I forget what it is, but it's not like rescue stretcher and there's like an equivalent card that can like help oh. help you play yeah, Clara yeah. as a trainer essentially and I, I think that helps because in a lot of matchups you really want to or it's it is strong to be aggressive early with Charizard you know whether you're playing like Raihan and Basin Two, but you get into these weird spots where if the Charizard is dead and you're facing the hand resets and things like that it's basically impossible to you know you can't clear and boss in the same turn and you know no none of us are really playing the cross switcher versions anymore and again like you have these sort of strengths when you do play that but i think the overall consistency is just better on the other side of things but anyways you get into trouble when like your charizard is dead and you have to draw out of judge like you just you can't win in those games so finding these like sort of trainer options uh, to do something similar to Clara is strong. And you know, similarly, people are going have gone up in Sableye counts a lot. A lot of these decks are playing three instead of two now. And you know, you kind of can do similar things just with two there. Um, but yeah, no other, no real sort of thoughts, just again, kind of looking forward to trying RCS stuff into the next format outside of just these lost box concerns.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, You know, I, I, uh, I keep asking Liam as he works on the crazy decks for Hartford. You guys know uh, um, why he doesn't just play lost box. And he's always just like, I, I don't know what it is. That deck is just really hard to play. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And he finally, he finally played at a challenge this past weekend and he lost one round to uh, Arctina Umbreon, I think. And he was like, that matchup is hard. I understand why people say that that matchup is hard. Um, uh, But, but uh, it seems pretty good. It seems pretty good.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's less that the deck is hard. I mean, the deck is very hard, but I think it's, it's that compounded with having to play best of three, nine rounds with that deck. Like I would, I would play the deck in a heartbeat for, a league cup best of one six rounds top eight like that's reasonable for 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 me um but doing it for nine rounds plus maybe another six rounds is just a bit too much personally
1: yeah yeah i uh, you know i i've now i think i think the deck it, maybe it speaks to uh, i mean i'm playing the mirage Gate version as, as i've said on uh on PTCGL and uh, for basically every game that i play and I think it, it speaks to probably how the, the deck has improved that it's just, uh, I don't have nearly the problems. I used to feel like I used to feel like I, every, every turn, every time I flower selected, I was like, Oh my God, this is horrible. I'm <laughs> like definitely choosing the wrong card here. And, but I, I feel like it's gotten a little more straightforward how to play. I don't know. I feel uh, less intimidated by the deck for some reason.
0: That's good.
1: Um, the other question I wanted to ask about uh, uh league challenges and cups guys is let's talk about league challenges in Philadelphia.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so I hit on it really briefly at the end of the podcast last week, but yeah, I, I didn't get the comment. I feel like yeah. I, I got to, we got to come back around to it for a second. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I took over this league red caps and it's been around for a while. Uh, we kind of assumed that since they hadn't been doing league at all, that, events, like they wouldn't be able to run challenges or cups, but I hit up Pokemon, sent a support ticket and they're like, actually, yeah, you can. Um, so I was like, okay, sweet. Uh, which is kind of weird when I hear some stories about other stores, like not being able to run these tournaments, but you know, I'll, I'll take what they give me. Um, and so we've been doing league every other week on Wednesday evenings. And so we're going to have our first challenge uh, the Wednesday after Hartford, um, I think it'll be pretty small, probably like you know, fifteen people or so. So I think I'll be able to run that myself. I ran a, I, I used Tom for the first time last league to do like a just a, a little tournament during league, just so I could get familiar with it, and it seemed pretty straightforward. Um, and then, so yeah, we got a challenge the Wednesday after Hartford, and then June third, we're going to be running a league cup. Uh, so that'll be really fun. I probably need to get a second person to help me run that event because it'll be a bit bigger, Um, and that'll be on a Saturday.
1: Uh, uh, That's also the same weekend as Milwaukee.
2: Yes, I know. That is uh, partially the reason that we did it that day. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So it was like we had the option of doing June, just based on what the store's availability was. We could either have done June 3rd or June 10th, and there was already another cup happening on June 10th in like Jersey. So that was part of it. But also I was like, this is going to be my first cup. I would rather it be a little bit smaller and a little bit more casual and not attract the uh Point chasers. <laughs> right, um, right. They, the Rawls and
1: Johns coming up from uh, uh Virginia desperately chasing uh, some cup points.
2: Right, exactly. Um have it be a little bit more chill. The first my first event, uh my first like cup event. Uh so that, that did play into it. <laughs> that that is uh,
1: that is funny. I yeah, I mean, yeah, I would say, oh, I'll I'll come up and help you, but like I think we're doing something that weekend. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um uh so how is, I, I saw that on, I saw on Pokemon.com, it was like, if you want to pre-register, email Mike, here's his email. Are uh, are you getting a lot of pre-registrations?
2: No. So I also, there's a Philadelphia discord um that has all the different like leagues and local events going on here. So I also posted on that. And I just said, you know, if you're planning on coming, just let me know. So I got some people saying through that, but no, nobody's else has emailed me. And that's kind of what I figured that this first challenge will just be a, like really the locals that show up anyway. um, And then the League Cup, we're having a bit more formal of a pre-registration process uh, through the store's website, but I haven't set that quite up yet.
1: I was going to ask you if you've thought thought about trying to use RK9. I I recognize there were a couple of cups in the pre-COVID era that were using RK9. I don't know how much people are using it now, but...
2: Yeah, I haven't looked into that at all. I assume that they charge something. Uh, so I'd have to like figure that out.
1: Right, right. Um, uh, it, it, So have you thought at all about capping attendance for the league challenge?
2: Well, like technically, yes, there's a cap. I just don't think we'll reach it because um, there's other games that play stuff on Wednesday night. So like we can really only fit like max 20 people. Um, but I don't think we'll reach that. We, the league challenge that we had last night, uh, at this other place had 12 or 13. So, um, and then the cup definitely will have a cap because there is a, there's a one piece event going on at the same time. And the space is pretty big. Like in total, they could probably fit like 60, 70 people. Yeah. Red cap's a really nice store. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, with the other event going on, so we're going to do pre-registration for both of the events. And then if one of them fills up much more quickly than the other will increase that cap basically. Gotcha.
1: Gotcha. Very, uh, exciting.
2: Yeah. I think it'll be cool. It, it it'll be a nice way for me to like dip my toes in organizing and judging without going full Chris Shamansky. um, <laughs> and see if I like it. Uh, and if I do, maybe I'll, you know, keep doing the, the more local stuff for a while. Maybe eventually I would try to judge a regional, but, um, but I think this will be a nice, slow, easing myself into potentially a different role within the community.
1: I think it's fun to try things out. You know, uh, uh, part of the reason I asked is uh, one of our local league challenges, the the infamous uh, for people in the Virginia area, Foster's grills, uh, grill Cubs, mm-hmm. uh, are, are challenges. He always capped attendance at 12 because he didn't want to do more than three rounds. <laughs> it was like it was like we are wrapping it up guys Ian, right right for the first second the tournament starts we're already ending it <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's funny
1: which i i think is uh, on the one hand yeah like it was like hilarious and weird but also like you knew in three rounds this this, this tournament's over yeah <laughs> like we will be done in less than two hours there's just no scenario where this tournament takes more than two hours and, and the answer was, like, it was definitely going to take two hours because it was uh, always chaos. But,
0: <laughs>
1: but like, you know, at least he had a check back to try to to tame his own uh, tendency towards chaos. All right. Uh, um, let's talk about Hartford for a second. What's, what's going to be the big deck,
2: guys? So here's some of my, like, number predictions. I think Lost Box probably stays right around 20%. Being the most popular deck. I think Guardi drops. Guardi was like 20 was about 20% in Portland and 12% in EUIC. So I think it's going to fall somewhere in the middle, maybe like 15-ish. Um, I think like Guardy doing pretty bad overall and like the resurgence of Lost Box is uh, a pretty big deal. I mean, I think Guardi will still be pretty popular and it's not a bad play, but it's not gonna be as hyped going in as it, as it was into Portland. Um, so, so lost box about 20 guardy 15, maybe a little bit lower even. Um, I think Lugia and Mew stay right around where they were. Maybe Lugia gets a little bit of a bump. Um, Lugia maybe like 12 to 14 Mew, like 12 ish as well. Um, Gudra stays about the same 5% Maradon 5%. And then Arceus probably gets a bump. Um, so Arceus, Arctina wasn't even on the graphic for Portland day one, but then it was day two. Um, so I think Arceus variants in general will will also be in that like 10 to 15% range. Um, maybe on the higher end of that toward closer to 15. I don't think Arctina will be 15%. I do think Arctina will be like the most popular, but I think just looking at all the Arceus variants together, probably pushing 15%. Um, So I feel like it's a pretty balanced metagame if Mew, Lugia, Arceus, Gardevoir are all kind of like roughly the same in that 10 to 15 range, and then Lost Boxed being a bit more popular than everything else. So that's kind of where I'm at, at least for the meta share.
3: Yeah, I think we said this last week, but to me, I mean, not not to really add any more to what Mikey says, but it just seems like we've almost... Just comes full circle to the EUIC metagame again. Cause we get in the we get in the scenario that's like, um, well, lost box the lost box is well positioned again. You know, we might say, as we did for EUIC, that Greninja Lost Box is, is probably the best deck. But what are the consequences of that? Well, Lugia is a little bit better, I think. Lugia is, is is decent against both the lost decks. Like it's, it's stronger against Charizard for sure for obvious reasons. Um but I think you have you you have a pretty solid matchup into both of them, assuming the sort of consistency concerns of Lugia um, goes your way, and then then you just get into the same thing. Well, well okay, if Lugia is sort of slightly better positioned, what does that mean for Gardevoir? You know, what does that mean for Gudra and things like that? And just to me, that is, this just almost sounds. Or, I mean, at the very least, it sounds eerily similar to you. I see, as far as I can tell. Um, which means we might just get a, a, another, like, Gardevoir win where, like, Gardevoir slips in. Like, all these other decks are sort of kind of, like, lost box back a little bit and their conversion rates and things like that. Like, w- in the Gudras and the Lugias and then Gardevoir just is is so strong into those matchups while having good matchups into, like, fine matchups into, into Mew and things like that, as well as... Um, like your RCS matchup says Gardevoir pretty fine like uh, obviously i think the umbreon versions are what you want to dodge the most of by quite a bit but um other than that like i i mean Mikey, uh correct me if i'm wrong here but like i, I feel like Guardia is pretty You like, should be at least be like 55 45 if not 60 40 like in the arctina Arc like that matchup seems yeah. pretty good
2: yeah for sure
3: if you if you don't if you don't just kind of get um picked off one by one something like that and especially too cuz you've got like even attacking with um Christelia and shining arcana guard of war is like pretty strong cuz that deck doesn't have like one prizes to try to trade trade with you with so if you have like strong knockouts with something like that or deal with the damage all you have to do is kind of make sure the one garatina doesn't like really doesn't take four prizes on you for the most part
2: mm-hmm. yeah so I I, I want to, maybe I can bounce off that a little bit. So yeah, I do think Guardia is favored into Arctina. Um, and I think Guardia is also slightly favored into Lugia, but both matchups are pretty close. Um, the one, one like really easy change that I'm going to give away some really prime advice right now for Gardevoir players, really easy change to make to your list to improve those matchups. I think fairly considerably, is to play two of the Torment Ralts or the, the Memory Skip Ralts, the 60 HP one, um, instead of just one. And the reason why is think about how both of those matchups go down. Like in a, in a typical game, either the Lugia or the Arceus player will take the first knockout with Lugia or Arceus. If you then immediately send up that Memory Skip Ralts and hit them for 10, You've done a couple of different things. You've brought their HP down to 270, which means one whole less energy for a Gardevoir or a Zacian to knock out. That by itself is a big deal. But it goes it's much better because then like what do they do then? So Arceus, they if they have accelerated to a Giratina, they have to then like Retreat to the Giratina and knock out the Ralts with the Giratina. That's not great. Or they have to like escape rope and then retreat back into the Arceus. That's not great. Um, So it puts Arceus in a really awkward spot. Um, And then against Lugia one of the ways that Lugia tries to beat Gardevoir is to just keep attacking with Lugia in the early game um, and force Gardevoir to KO that Lugia as quick as possible, which then takes away the Sky Seal Stone play later in the game. Um, but by using the Ralts, you force the Lugia to the bench, then they have to take a knockout with Eviltal or Tyranitar, uh, and then it gives you the opportunity to later in the game boss up the, the Lugia, Sky Sealstone, and then take three prizes. So the inclusion of two memory skip rods is like been incredible for those matchups. You do lose like a couple percentage points in the lost box matchup because you have two 60 HP Ralts, but like it's literally, it almost never comes up. Um, and I think the benefit of really giving yourself a really strong line in those matchups uh, is, is worth it. So highly recommend going 2-2 on routes.
1: Yeah, I feel like the situations where Sable, I could take advantage of, of the, the 260 hit point routes is like, you have to already be losing horribly to find yourself in that moment, right? Yeah,
2: exactly. So, highly recommend. Um, the incl- If you play two Arcana Guardi, those matchups also get better as well, Um, because... A- you're, you know, taking one shots with a with a single pressure. Um You can still win with only one, but that's another thing. If you want to tech more for those matchups, that's an easy change to make as well, include the second Arcana.
1: How has the second Arcana been? I assume, good, you won a league challenge.
2: Yeah, I mean, I really like it. I, I For a long time, I was playing a list more similar to my EUIC list, which ran Heavy Ball, Rescue Carrier, No Double Zacian. Uh, no Lumineon. Um, and then, uh, so I always had double Arcana. Uh, but as I've been playing, I really do like Lumineon. Lumineon's really good. Uh, and then if you play Luminion, you're kind of forced into playing some of the other cards that Tord played, like the second Zacian, the Collab Stadium, just make a lot of sense. And so uh, finding space for that second Arcana is a bit harder. Um, I cut the penny, which I think is fine. Uh, but I, I I really do like to Archon and Gardevoir. Makes your Rick candy so much better as well.
1: Uh, you know, one of the things that's, that I think has surprised me as I have played towards list is, like when I first saw towards list and I saw the second station, I was like, oh, second station, that's really good. That's really good. I find I rarely actually use the second station.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's true.
1: Like, I, I, I don't know why it is, because like the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, second station, that'd be so good. That'd be so good. And maybe the moral of the story is just, like every time I prized station, I was like, Oh God, this is going to be a rough, rough game.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's definitely part of it. Another thing that I think comes up a bunch is you don't want to bench Zashian in early and in basically any matchup. And then, so a lot of games you have to research it away and then you're forced to like Miriam back, which can be awkward, but if you just have two, then you don't care if you research one yeah. away. Yeah. Good times.
0: Um,
1: any other stuff we should talk about for uh, 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 Hartford? I feel like I feel like, I, mean, I don't want to say that the meta is stale, but like, yeah, it has been like three tournaments of the uh, same format, and it sounds like, uh, to Brit's point, I, I, it doesn't seem like it's evolving a lot. Yeah, we yeah.
3: We draw from the the three events over the weekend because uh, there, like, there was like two. There's like the uh, regionals in the Philippines, the special event in Colombia and uh one more i think indonesia indonesia, Indo- Indo- indonesia yeah indonesia I mean,
1: obviously yeah. everybody everybody took away that stacking your opponent's deck is a great way to beat uh,
3: them <laughs> yeah but it was i mean two wins from you um and then andrew hendrick winning with um good old greninja Lost box but like mm-hmm. uh i mean that means something i think you know it's it's data at the very least even if it's you know a smaller piece of it's it's hard to know Mew is such an interesting deck, because unlike, say, Arctina or something like that, where you see, you know, maybe a player, you know, about my skill level who likes, you know, a lot of different decks, you see that result and be like, hey, I'm going to play the new deck, I'm going to play the deck that just, like, won at my next tournament, and I don't feel like Mew Mew as a deck, as an archetype, like, incites that kind of, like, interest, because people, you know, it's so... Um, polarizing as a deck, or, you know, you just really have to bite the bullet on Drapion, you know, ruining your day and things like that. So it's it's difficult. I, you know, I, I don't know if this th- that made sense. I don't feel like Mew winning doesn't necessarily motivate anyone to play Mew. If anything, it might motivate the opposite, which I don't think is necessarily true. Right, uh, right. For, if, if there's, for, say, Artina, people who and like, certainly it, no that. one is, just, yeah. I don't think anyone... Um good anyone reasonable making um you know their deck choice for this weekend and things like that is thinking, oh no, I got a tech for artina now. Like, no, I don't think anyone is gonna go out of their way to beat that. Um, whereas Mew, of course, you know, people do go out of their way to beat in a variety of different ways. Um, but yeah, I don't necessarily I feel like a Mew will still just have kind of the same meta share that it's had, you know, throughout all these events. I don't feel like it's anything yeah. um and I guess neutrally um Andrew Hendricks when is like
2: just further validating that
3: yeah good, right? it's nice to see
2: it get a result I guess like outside of Japan and things like that um yeah I do want to note that Andrew's list is different than all the lists that top aided um uh Portland like Shemansky played the Moltres Kyogre build. Azul, or sorry, Grant played um, Turbo, but with Kyogre. And then Andrew Ganter played Turbo, but with like Luminion and Ultra Balls. And then Andrew's list is kind of more just standard Turbo. Uh, He ran the Gears instead of like Luminion and Ultra Ball, Uh, a bit less on the Lost Vacuum count. And he played a split of Forest Seal and Sky Seal. Uh, so 1-1. One, one. So we, you have, like, that. that's, like, one of the scariest things about going up against a Lost Box deck is, like, you never know what's going to be in those last five, six cards until the game is basically over. Um, and so playing around, like, knowing what to play around in, in that matchup can be really, really, really difficult game one in particular.
1: I'm not surprised that uh, he got a good result. This is virtually, uh, I think his list is one card off the list that I am playing on uh, Pete's CGL. Mm-hmm. I, I cut the um, Palucha for a fifth water.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Uh,
1: uh, just because I mismanaged my energy, as you guys know.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. <I do laughs> it's think always the, uh... good to conceal cards more.
1: I'm always like, we're going to conceal cards again. We're, we're definitely doing that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I do think his split of Sky Seal Forestale is a bit of a nod to, to the Lugia matchup, because I feel like that's the matchup where you really want the Sky Seal Stone. And if you don't have it, it can be much more difficult. Like, you know, Grant, Grant and Azul, and then they played Kyogre, which gives them a way to deal with the Lugia matchup in a bit of a different way. Um, but if you don't have that, I think Sky Seal Stone makes some sense.
1: Yeah, well, I, and... and uh I recognize that that situation for Bogota, but in best of one, having Sky Seal Stone is just like like easy cheesing.
2: Right, right, right,
1: right. Which is my stock in trade.
2: Yeah. Um. In terms of other lists, I, I also just want to mention like Reagan's Lugia list is insanely good. <laughs> uh uh, there's been like there, people have been playing like one or two cards off that, which are all fine. But I really want to highlight the the pumpkaboo. I was pretty skeptical of pumpkaboo in general in Lugia post uh, rotation because in my head I was I was basically thinking you know there's no quick ball. How reliably can you really get the pumpkaboo out when you need it? And I think it turns out that you can get it pretty reliably between Ultra Balls and Capturing Aromas and Mezzagozas. And by the time you need it, you often have like an extra search card to be able to find it. Uh, I was playing without it for a while, and I lost a game with, that I would have won if I had Pumpkaboo, and then I put it back in to try it more. And it's won me like three or four games just straight up. Um, so I, I, I highly recommend playing Pumpkaboo. And yeah, Reagan's list is just really good. It's kind of a question mark whether Single Strike Urshifu is definitely the way to use those last couple spots in Lugia. But it covers so much for so little space that it just seems correct to me. Um, so yeah, I, I just want to give a chance. Will people play
1: uh, the uh, Rapid Strike Urshifu uh, deck in Hartford? Or, or did that do bad enough that it's just like completely chased out of the meta? Like I get why people like the idea
3: of it.
2: The Intellion, yeah. Thing?
3: yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I just don't. Think,
3: I just don't think anyone's cracked the list. It's just inconsistent, and I think it's just left there. I don't. I think people have tried to the best of their ability, and it's. I mean, just on paper, you know, seems so good, but I just think struggles so much in concept with just doing the things it wants to do. Like if you had Intellion or something, still, I'm confident it would be very good, um, but you just don't have enough and like uh, octillery, similarly just also isn't enough on its own with without something like Intellion or something else and you're you're strapped for space already with like two stage ones trying to fit in Fibral or something I guess three stage ones you know um, Intellion or Shbu and Octillery it just it's just it's it seems so close too because like our water support is so good Arita, vip you know there's there's lots of good things going on in the package but i think it just ends up failing um just not able to do what it wants to do consistently enough yeah i
2: i i tried it a bit like maybe 2 weeks ago i probably played like 10 15 games and it just feels so bad <laughs> like every game you're like Man, I can't do anything that I want to do any turn. (laughs) Like you have this grand. Like I assume like if you draw perfectly, you're like, we're just
1: rolling all these Guardian Lost Box decks. We're just rolling over them. They have no chance.
2: Like we're just blowing them off the board every turn. But like getting it to do that seems impossible. Right. Yeah. You just need so many cards to pull up these combos, and you just don't have a draw engine really in your deck. So I there's this one local player that is pretty good, and he was uh playing it a lot the last few weeks and then I saw him last night and he's like yeah we're done we're we're not playing that
0: for <laughs> Hartford
1: <laughs> all right uh guys I wanted to ask if you guys had any reaction to the Azul shuffling uh chaos uh you know what's funny is I was for like virtually I haven't watched a lot of twitch lately outside of the Portland stream because Walker was not in the Fortnite finals Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, this season, but I flipped it back on and just happened to catch Azul's whole like thing in real time, and I was like,
2: mm-hmm. that's a hot take!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I saw a bit of it in real time as well, and it was funny because like his reaction basically went from like, "Oh, you know, I don't know if it's cheating," blah blah blah, and then he like starts to slow it down and analyze it more, and then he's like, "Oh my god," <laughs> um, which was kind of funny. I don't know. I don't think I don't know. Well, let me let me let me flip the question a little bit back. Do you think that Azul's stuff was the reason that the guy got DQ'd?
3: Yes, I don't think anything happens there without uh, American English social media getting involved. I feel confident in a certain. Yeah, yeah. That's not thats not just a um but yeah, 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 yeah. even just like, very... I saw
2: Diego post right. Diego, yeah, very. Well yeah, I felt like
3: Diego's post was really the driver. Mm. Yeah, really cursory. Twitter seems seems like there was a clear sort of like staff didn't know about it until it was relayed to them through you know this other information sort of pinning it down more precisely. Mm-hmm. um Yeah, so Diego too, of course, not exactly you know these American players sort of calling it out, but. Yeah, I feel like it, it It probably doesn't get caught without this, that kind of stir. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, uh,
1: the other Azul thing that I want to ask you guys about is the um, uh, uh, doing a lot of actions to uh, drag out games.
3: It's a good conversation. I feel like the the Twitter threads really went in some good directions, both from... I would say like Mace and Robin Schultz, both of and Sander as well. Like, I, I feel like we can't get to like a precise answer on this, but my, my take would be that, and this is, I think, again, kind of a sum of Robin and Sander and Mace sort of coming at each individually coming at, uh you know, coming Socratically at Azul. Um, but that it's, I think it's too close to cheating for it to be worth Doing, but then you know, Mises position was just like that. This is he basically can enforce it, and it's more you know symptomatic of the rules. And I, you know, I think in general, so many of these problems are not you know a judge interpreting the rules and you know giving the bad verdict or something like that. It's just that the rules themselves are structured in such a way that the the verdicts are all, often going to be problematic, and, and until work is done on the rules themselves will never sort of get out of these areas. But yeah, like it's, it's seems eerily too close to just what is what is blatant slow playing? What is blatantly cheating according to the rules, as far as your play with time is concerned, but then you get into these questions of, you know, just at, at what point is it my responsibility? And of course the rules pretty directly, obviously, you know, maintaining the game state is, you know, you, you're, you know, maintaining your about your opponent's board state, game state, is your responsibility as a player. But you get into these scenarios, just like, you know, and these, it, it gets complicated, especially in the examples they were using with just like between a, a control player and a non-control player. Like, at what point, like, do you, you know, I, I've established my checkmate as a control player. You literally can't beat me like is it on you to recognize that and then concede you know you know at what point who is doing something wrong it gets sort of murkier and murkier and murkier and I think similarly to like um, or at least this is something like Jay Hornung has posted a time or two just wondering like why don't we just have chess clocks or something like that um you know and I think there's something like that there and I remember I would remember when I was in chess club like and I I mean I, I played chess club K through 12 basically um anyways, I would, I would, when my opponents sometimes would not hit, you know, for their turn, I would just not play, I would not play until they realized that they needed to hit the clock. And I think something like that obviously goes against spirit of the game, like it's me intentionally just sort of um, trying to real shark them or something like that. And so again, like, I think there's, you know, there's a strong appeal in that direction, I think. Um, But just like, I don't know what the real solution actually looks like, but I I think in general, like I don't, I definitely don't like, I'll be very honest and quick and transparent, you know, my opponents will be like, Oh yeah, just show me the boss and we can go to the next game. And I'll just be like, I don't have the boss. I'm going to have to dig for it. I, my odds are very good, you know, or sometimes, and then we're obviously just like, if I do have it be like, yep, here it is. Or like, you Mm -hmm. know, here's the ultra ball for the aluminum for the boss or something like that. But yeah, it's it's hard to say. But I I feel like just on the face of it, it's too close to actual. It's just so close to what actual slow playing is. It seems. It seems difficult for it not to be. You know, in, in Azul's case here, it just seems difficult for that player not to really be doing something wrong. Like obviously on the other side of things like maybe i I just don't recognize that you've got game maybe i just like i'm still you know i'm tunnel visioned and i i don't again i just don't see something it seems like the azul position more or less is going to always deflect some of the responsibility towards the other person because you know that's literally what he says it's just like it's not my fault Mm -hmm. um and you know that's obviously just kind of a weak moral position in general um and so i i feel similarly about it here is it really is it verbatim textbook cheating no but it's just so so close it just
2: doesn't seem like you should do it yeah I think I generally agree the the most salient point for me was not really the uh I don't see it argument I feel like that's like a cop-out kind of answer um but the point that actually did make sense to me I think Sander said it is that like if you have game immediately with a A non-trivial card that you play in your deck, um, but you have a way to win with a more commonly played card and you don't have that readily available, then using these actions to dig for that, to hide the information of your more, you know, esoteric uh, card. um, I think that is like gives you a competitive advantage going into a second or third game. Um, So I I like that argument. That's really the the only argument that I saw that I was like, okay, that makes sense.
3: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I definitely agree. But uh, even there, it just seems like, and then I don't think we'll ever get this with the rules, but even that I think feels like it almost just leads us to needing to answer like a moral question, like about, Mm -hmm. about the rules, you know, we could go back to, uh, you know what happened? I don't even remember the regionals, but like with Raúl, when he like lied about his Serena counts, like in game, you know, is that cheating? Like, no, but again, it seems to need us to answer yeah. a, a moral question about telling the truth and you know, that, lying. Yeah, there's, that's there's the something thing that like really that. bothers me. That really bothers me. And, that, and that, that's exactly sort of what I mean here. Is it seems like, and, the, and the 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 sort of the way you control information like i mean just to use the same word is a very salient point but then i think that you know again just needs us to answer like and at what point is that is controlling information you know manipulative and you know, i think that the, the obvious answer to that is that the card games inherently are about you know playing your information correctly you know it's just it's just like any any other game where sometimes you, you know you, you need to bluff sometimes you need to be transparent about sort of how strong the things are sitting on so again i don't think it's ultimately really a, a moral consideration but there's air there's errors of that sort of or at least in in the way we construct our rules you know what what is fun what is fair how do we sort of establish that as you know as a definitional concern or something like that like there's always all of these games all these different things have different suppositions that sort of ground all of them but so so I, let me give you guys a scenario because
1: i i feel like
3: I have an argument that
1: I don't think I saw on Twitter that I'm interested in you guys hearing. So my initial reaction was, it's super cheesy. If if you have the boss in hand and you're like, I'm going to pretend to dig for the boss for the next five minutes. So like, so he doesn't know if I have it or not. And then I'll just play the boss and win like that bothered me. I did not, I did not like that. But, but then when I thought about, so let me give you a scenario that's really the same situation, but like the other side of the coin. Let's say I am playing against a control player and he doesn't know that I run an escape rope and I get down to like five prizes and he's got me locked up, except that my escape rope will give me the win. Mm-hmm. If I say I have normally have a terrible matchup here and the first five prizes, it's a miracle that I took those prizes. If I play again, I will lose and we will tie. But, like, nobody would say that player's in the wrong for waiting 20 minutes to draw every card in his deck before he plays the rope to, like, ensure that he gets the win and doesn't finish the second game.
3: Right. right.
1: And that's basically the same thing, right? Like, I'm not obligated to win that as fast as I can so the control player can lock me up game two and game three and get quick dubs, right?
3: Yeah, I I think you just keep compounding the point, which I think just fails your argument entirely, but it just, like... Right, like it's just a. One it's on you to sort of have this sort of omniscient knowledge of of what what's in my deck, what's what 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 I can do to win, what you can do to win, and and things like that. And I feel like sort of that that level of requirement, these, these edge cases like this one exactly, like you you literally never know. Like it's always going to be valid to like, um, you know, just assume that they have their 60th card is you know the one that beats you or something like that. Like you know, is that a sound argument? No, but it, it's constructively always going to be a valid one yeah Um, if if managing your time gets you the dub apparently
1: that's like in that scenario i was like that's totally fine so i don't know how i could say it's bad in the other situation
3: right yeah i mean i think like in a lot of ways or at least this is was not before any of this but we were having good it was from a league cup or something like that one player just kind of did something dumb and it was like kind of a good question of just like is this is this person cheating or like at what point um, does ignorance excuse you, essentially, is the question. And I think this is like this is like a good sort of important moral point. I think one that, um, you know, maybe we don't realize sort of, um, you know, without studying it or something like that, that we have this sort of question like, um, you know, the, the distinction between factual ignorance and moral ignorance. And so in the case of factual ignorance, it does seem to be the case that you're not blameworthy. You're not blameworthy or praiseworthy if you do something right or wrong and are just factually ignorant. You know, say I serve you a tea, um, you know, because I want to have a tea party with you or something like that. and just unbeknownst to me, it's poison or something like that. Obviously, if I had known it was poison, I, I wouldn't have served it to you. So I don't seem necessarily blameworthy in this case. But then when we, we turn that to moral conversations, you know when we ask, like does moral ignorance work in the same way? does me just genuinely not understanding, you know, say say I'm just a you know a particular kind of racist or something like that? Does my sort of and say I'm, you know, rooted in 17th century, 18th century science, or something like that, and it's the science that is, you know, justifying my take. Does it work in the same direction? And I think the answer is clearly no. That you know, the, the sort of example I would use to demonstrate this is uh Huck Finn, right? So the story of Huck Finn is like um, he he does something he he thinks is wrong, but it actually happens to be right. You know, Huck Finn befriends a slave and comes to realize, you know, that this guy Jim is like he's a fellow human being. He, he's worth worthy of like equal treatment, just like everyone else. But his society, his culture, his norms are sort of telling him that it's wrong. He's guilty about it. He's conflicted about it. And so in this case, his moral ignorance does not remove our ability to praise Huck. Huck is still doing the right thing, even though he thinks it's wrong. And so if it works in this direction, then it has to also be the case that moral ignorance does not excuse itself, that you're still sort of blameworthy or praiseworthy in your moral ignorance, even if you're sort of like can't help it. Or something like that. Even if you have this sort of like responsibility to know otherwise, and that seems to be the case, I think with like the rules here too, that you have to sort of like recognize that some of the you know this maintenance of the game state, or at least just being honest in the way we play, I think is sort of inherently bound to spirit of the game and things like that. Or at least in a lot of times when we're arguing about card games between Pokemon and other ones, like I just always go straight to spirit of the game because I think it's something so sort of direct and spelled out, and something it's it's built into the rules, but it's something like deeper than just following the rules. It's, you know, we're supposed to have fun. We're supposed to be a community. We're supposed to sort of enjoy ourselves and the rules are constructed in such a way, you know, such that way. And that's why like maintaining the game state and things like that is so important for both parties. And I think in these arguments where you just deflect the blame a little bit, that's just clearly inconsistent with what where the rules are grounded in the first place. And that it's just, I think, you know, we're all equally responsible in the same way that it's not just the tournament organizers, um, you know, who are responsible for ensuring that it's, you know, a safe, inclusive and accepting space. It's on the community as well. And so I think similarly, um, you know, there's a long roundabout rant, but that's sort of my take on these sort of these rule semantics. You can you can do things that are questionable that aren't actually cheating. But I think if you sort of are grounding your thoughts in something other than just the rules, that there are clear right and wrong things to do sort of regardless of what the judge might
0: tell you the case is, you know, what the verdict is.
1: That was a really good rant. That was great. <laughs> that was great. The, I mean, the, uh, uh, you know, the bounds of uh, uh, moral ignorance is probably not something that other podcasts have covered. <laughs> <laughs> we are breaking new ground here.
3: I am. I'm, I won't be as uh, good of a player as uh, Azul ever, but I will. I've got this insight ready to go <laughs> at all times.
1: All right, guys, I have a great Would You Rather this week, and I feel like it's right in your wheelhouse at this very moment, Britt. So let mm-hmm. me give it to you guys real quick. Here's your choice, guys. Would you rather be the smartest person in the world or the stupidest person in the world in both scenarios you have the same level of intelligence you have now.
2: <laughs> I,
1: this is
3: a, I mean, this is just a classic philosophy question. This is
0: just, nah, this, nah, this
1: is right. You realize I do. This, I do is just Mill. It.
3: this is just John Stuart Mill. Would you rather be Socrates dissatisfied or, you know, would you rather be the, you know, the a pig living its best life, you know, something like that, just a pig. That's just like, 100% euphoric, like at all times. Just like it has the best slop, it flops around in the mud, um, things like that. Um, you know, and it's this question of higher and lower pleasures, essentially, and like what Mill wants to argue with it, because Mill, you know, Mill, of course, consequentialism, utilitarianism. What makes something right is just maximizing the outcome for you know the the what makes the most amount of people happy possible. And so here it's just like, well, not every happiness is equal. You know, you enjoying McDonald's can't possibly be on the same level as me going to the opera or something like that. Like that like the, the, that's where he wants to go with it, of course. And, you know, the 1800s and things like that. Um, but it's a good question. I mean, one that I think, you know, students of different intuitions and things like that, I think you can really sort of go both ways, or you know, the other sort of way to phrase it is uh Robert Nozick and the experience machine. It's just kind of the same question, but just like, what if there was this like utopian, you know, VR device or something like that? You just, you know, you hook up into the matrix and it's it's literally perfect. You can be, you know, whoever you want, the superstar celebrity, you know, you're always happy in the same way that the pig is always just blissed out too. That's you know, kind of just the same thought experiment. Um, but yeah, I guess to give my answer then, I think that um you know it's not about happiness at the end of the day or at least like it's it's a particular sort of kind of happiness I think you would much rather be Socrates miserable than a pig living its best life possible so you'd rather be
2: the smartest person is that what you're saying um I forget exactly I heard I lost track of what Brent's actual <laughs> the, question the, was. the smart smartest person in the world or the stupidest person in the world uh but either way you have the same intelligence you have now oh okay so yeah this is sort of like an idi- idiocracy spin on it or yeah yeah like yeah that. right
3: <laughs> um i would not want to be the smartest person in the world i i'm um i think pretty in tune with uh myself and like i think i'm above average but I'm i'm far from a genius on any subject basically and so i don't think the world would be very well run if i'm the lead, lead academic, lead scholar or something like that. I I do my best, but I, I certainly am not the, the 1% on
2: any of the things that I enjoy. Yeah, I kind of have a similar response of like, I think if I was the smartest person, my own happiness might be greater. But I think if I was the stupidest, the world would just be in a much better place <laughs> overall, which uh, seems better. We'll and I also it. might be taken care of if I'm the stupidest person in the world. They might just like feel bad for me.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my my uh, uh, immediate knee jerk reaction that was the the cop out answer of of, of you know, my wife already thinks I'm the stupidest person in the world. so. <laughs> <laughs> We're already living
2: in that. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> Brett, you've seen that movie, Idiocracy? Hmm? Yeah, yeah. Brent, have you seen that? I, I
1: have I seen that movie? I don't know. I read the book by Gary Steingart, which was a great book. Oh, there's a book? I didn't know that. Although it's, I think... Uh, the mo- movie is
2: Mike Judge. It's
1: yeah, stupid. the the book is
2: actually a different thing. Mm. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, the, the movie is like... that. It's like kind of stupid, but like it's pretty funny. <laughs> it's a movie that
3: I feel like people appeal to like too much like they'll, they'll just ah it's real mm-hmm. life it's just like idiocracy and it's just right. like ah, i don't think it's quite the, yeah, it's not you know, i don't think the link is bad. quite as strong yeah. here
2: <laughs>
3: um but yeah it's, it's i mean a good uh, definitely like um iconic comedy of the early 2000s mm-hmm. i would say Cool. all right all right guys
1: let's uh let's put a lid on it we we got to kick off our day. The the first ever morning podcast, The Trash Lunch. We'll, we'll get that out to the people uh, just uh, as soon as we can. And and I'm sure next week we'll catch up with Caden and see how he slept. Yeah. Fantastic, guys. Yep. Good good luck in uh, Hartford, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. you you'll,
2: you'll finish your invite. It'll be easy. You've got a handle yeah, on I'm the just format. Gonna, I'm just going to win Hartford, and then I got my
1: invite. That's the answer. We like that. Uh, that that'd make for a great podcast next week, guys. <laughs> Great podcast next week. Incoming. All right. Okay. Bye. Yes, Thank
0: you.